Our third scripture reading this evening comes from Mark 15, verses 16 through 26. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in, in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they, they put it on him, and they began to salute him, Hail to the king of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of his purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And I brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And I offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And I crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me, please? King Jesus, we desire to look on you with the eyes of faith tonight. Whatever week we have had, whatever busyness we've waded through, whatever may be heavy on our hearts right now, Holy Spirit, would you take us by the hand again and lead us to see Jesus, even Jesus, on his cross. We ask this to his glory. Amen. Well, over this past week, I wonder if you saw in the news the giant ship that was caught in the Suez Canal. Maybe you saw a picture of this enormous ship. Maybe you even saw a picture of 300 ships waiting in the Mediterranean Sea and in the Red Sea, waiting to get through, but they could not because this giant ship was stuck. The ship is named Ever Given, and it's been said, when you know the name of a ship somewhere in the world, something bad probably happened. Uh, we think of the Exxon Valdez or Titanic. But that, those are the ships we tend to hear of, so we heard of this one ever given. To say that this ship is large would be an understatement. Uh, it is longer than the length of four football fields put end to end. Maybe you saw a picture of it on the internet and you saw some colorful shipping containers on the top of the ship. This ship holds 20,000 of those containers. And so the question became... How in the world did a ship like this get stuck and stuck in the Suez Canal, one of the busiest traffic routes of, uh, in the world? Well, the current theory is that a storm came out of the West, a sandstorm, and a strong, stiff wind came and knocked that ship back on its heels, so to speak, rendering the instruments obsolete, and the captain was unable to recover. 
And so day after day, as I've watched different pictures of this ship and efforts to try to get it unstuck, I couldn't help but think that maybe that's a metaphor for you and I, that the pandemic has been for us sort of like that storm that came out of nowhere. One week, life was normal. The next week, life completely changed, and we've endured a year of it. It seemed to come out of nowhere, a strong, stiff wind that has knocked us back on our heels and has left a lot of us feeling stuck. Maybe you come tonight feeling stuck. Stuck relationally, stuck in, in your relationships with other people. You miss people. You miss getting together, laughing without masks on, hugging freely, hearing stories that you wish you could hear but maybe can't hear in person. It, can, it takes a toll on your spirit. You feel stuck relationally. You can feel stuck also in another way. You can feel stuck as a result of this pandemic in, in your faith. You may feel like you're not growing very much. John Cox is a psychologist in Jackson, Mississippi, one of our favorite kind of teachers that comes in and teaches us every now and then. And he says, we believe down deep in our hearts that God loves us as we experience his love in community. That kind of makes it real, makes the truth go deep into our hearts when we're in the same room with other people, we're putting arms around others, we're laughing with them or we're crying with them too. That's when we really feel loved by God too when we're around the body of Christ. And for a lot of us, we've not been able to do that. It leaves us with a feeling of feeling stuck like that ship. And so tonight and, and maybe this spring when you've heard God loves you, when you've heard words from the Bible, maybe it's felt like those words have just bounced off your heart, that they don't seem real that they don't penetrate very deeply. Well, I think this may be the weekend by God's power in which you might begin to feel unstuck. Because in God's providence and his church calendar, this is the most special weekend of the year. We gather tonight for Good Friday, of course, for Saturday and then Sunday morning. Maybe this is the weekend where you begin to feel unstuck, maybe as you're around other people more, but also as maybe... The words of the gospel and the truth of Jesus begin to not bounce off your heart, but penetrate more deeply. And so in our brief few minutes tonight from this scripture, I want us to see just two things that Jesus does in his work on the cross. First, Jesus frees us from our sins. And second, Jesus rescues us from our shame. Jesus frees us from our sins and Jesus rescues us from our shame. First, Jesus frees us from our sins. On Friday morning of that Holy Week, Jesus is bound by Roman officers in the morning. He allows himself to be bound, and the crowd begins to cry out for him uh, that he would be crucified. And Pilate asks him, Are you the king of the Jews? And several times in our passage, he is asked, Are you the king of the Jews? in really a mocking sort of way. He's beaten, and he's too weak to carry his own cross. And Mark writes simply, and they crucified him. Mark is the gospel writer. You may know that just cuts right to the quick, goes right to it. And he says, and they crucified him. And as they did that, various Old Testament prophecies came true. As the Roman soldiers divided his garments and cast lots for his clothes and his crucifixion began at nine o'clock. I want us to reflect for a moment that Jesus' death frees us from our sins. It is the means by which we have forgiveness for all the sins that we've ever committed, all the sins that we've committed this week and today, and all the sins that we will commit this weekend and next week 
and beyond. Two verses of scripture make that, I think, really clear. It's actually the opening quote at the very top of your order of worship at the very beginning from Romans 6, chapter, um, chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, which say, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. The body of our sin, as it were, was placed on Jesus on the cross. And when he died, he buried the very real guilt of our sins. He took that on himself, and it gives us a freedom. Paul writes here, for, those, uh, for one who has died has been set free from sin. I think it, become, it can become real when you think about a typical morning for yourself. When you wake up in the morning, when you first wake up and you're lying in bed, what do you, what do you think? Maybe everything that you have to do that day just rushes at you like a pack of wild horses and your heart and your mind fill up with all those things that you have to do that particular day. In that moment, I think it becomes real. The gospel becomes real because you can say to yourself, you know, I, I today and all of the things I have to do, I don't have to prove my worth. I don't have to use other people. I don't have to manipulate other people or turn conversations toward me to try to get, get myself affirmed. I don't have to work seven days a week. I don't have to manipulate other people in any way. My greatest needs have already been met for forgiveness of everything I've ever done that is sinful and everything that I will do that is sinful. And I have eternal life already. That sense of assurance amidst all the other thoughts and things you have to do that day can free you and I to be present for people, to be real with them. That's the freedom that comes from forgiveness of all of our sins. It's one thing for Jesus to enter Jerusalem and to die on the cross. And that is enough. He stayed on that cross for six hours. Here's Jesus who spoke Saturn and Jupiter into existence, allowing himself to be bound by these Roman soldiers, allowing himself to be nailed to the cross. But even while doing all that, there's a layer of public shame that is put on him. The, the way in which he died was shameful, first of all. Wearing almost nothing up on the cross, it's meant to be a public spectacle so that people would mock him. And we know in the Gospels that he was mocked constantly. But as he puts this shame on himself, he buries our shame. He takes the death that we deserve. And so I especially want us to focus tonight that Jesus rescues us from our shame. Not only does it free us from our sins, but he rescues us from our shame. As our story goes on, it says that a battalion of Roman soldiers led him to a palace room. So that would be up to 600 different soldiers surrounding Jesus. And in our narrative that was read, you heard that a purple robe was put on him to mock him as if he was a king. Uh, the crown of thorns was put together and placed into his scalp and pressed down. Someone, maybe several people, took a thick stick or a reed and began to hit him in the head. People spit on him. People kneeled down before him and mocked him and called him king of the Jews. When you hear that, what do you feel in your heart? Maybe you feel a sense of just shock 
a sense of horror, a sense of sadness, almost a sense of recoiling, like, that's not the, I don't want to think about that. that, that sort of pain that he endured. Well, Mark writes this account. He could have left this part out, but he writes this account by the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that we would feel these sorts of things, a sense of shock and a horror, almost like I can't look at that, I can't think about that. But he also writes this that you and I would know beyond a shadow of doubt of a doubt that we are loved. As Jesus takes this shame on himself, he stays faithful all the way to the cross. He takes on himself, he absorbs the shame that you and I deserve for our sins. He puts it on himself. And that's a big part of the gospel too. I wonder if you'll think for a moment with me about shame. Do you carry shame every day? And does it disable you? Does it affect how you uh, uh, relate to other people? Do you carry shame in your heart every day for something that you have done? Maybe something you haven't told anybody else about. Do you carry shame in your heart for something that you wished you had said? Shame for something that you left undone, you wish you could go back. Shame for a relationship that maybe you ruined or just a missed opportunity. As we live day after day, we can sometimes dwell on those sorts of sins to the point that we feel shame, a deep sense of shame that inhibits how we relate to other people. And that shame can turn toxic very quickly as we look away from Jesus and begin to turn inward. We can have a a, a voice, uh, some self-talk in which we say to ourselves, man, did I make a mistake? I am a mistake. Man, did I screw up? I'm just a screw-up. And that sort of talk, which is not true about who you are in Christ, can begin to disable us and disable how we relate to other people and how we relate to God. It can bring about a lot of pain. But the Bible is very clear that God does not relate to you and I on the basis of our sins. In fact, King David writes in Psalm 103 very clearly this when when he says, God does not deal with us according to our sins. He could not be clearer, could he? God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities, meaning he does not holding a grudge against you. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. God does not relate to us on the basis of our sins because his steadfast love for us is higher than than the heavens. And because of that, you tonight can lay down the shame you carry at the foot of the cross because Jesus took it on himself. So Dan Allender is a guy I uh, listened to. He has a podcast and this week he shared uh, something he learned about hikers on the Appalachian Trail. You may know the Appalachian Trail starts in North Georgia. It goes all the way up to the state of Maine, and he learned that most hikers, the average hiker, who starts on the Appalachian Trail carries a backpack or some sort of pack on the back that weighs 36 pounds. Now that's the weight of my three-year-old, Samuel, who's on my back about half the day as it is, so I have a real clear sense of how heavy that is and how that can make every step sort of heavy in the moment. What Dan also figured out is, uh, according to the study, the average person that starts with 36 pounds by the end of the day is down to 24 pounds. 
And that's not because the average hiker has eaten 12 pounds of food at, at lunch. The average hiker drops from 36 to 24 because at some point in that day, the hiker begins to realize, I, don't, I can't carry all this anymore. This is too heavy. It makes every step hard. It, makes as if I'm, I'm, it feels as if I'm going uphill, even when I'm going downhill. It's too heavy. And so these studies have found that the average hiker actually stops, opens up that book or that backpack and begins to consider, what can I just drop on the ground here and leave behind? And for some hikers, it's a bulky, heavy towel. For some, it might be a well-worn guidebook that they've read a thousand times. They're just not going to carry it anymore. And so they take it out, they drop it on the ground, and they leave it there, never to see it again. The typical hiker drops it on the ground. It doesn't need to carry it anymore. The shame that you carry for that thing that you have done is weighing you down. It makes every day harder than it should be. You can open up your heart and set it down. You don't need to carry it. Because Jesus took it on himself, all of the shame for all of our sins and rebellion he took on himself. You can drop it. You can lay it down at the foot of the cross. Because at that cross, he put on himself all of our sins, all of our shame. And as the scripture says, he buried it. So I mentioned this ship ever given that was stuck. I say was stuck. Now it's free. And you may wonder how it got free if you've heard that it did. It got unstuck. Do you know how it got unstuck? It got unstuck because of a power from another world. I'm not making this up. Because of a power from another world. Now, it wasn't Superman who swooped in, who freed the ship, but it was actually a supermoon. In God's providence, it just so happened at the end of March, a supermoon came about, which is a full moon that is almost at the closest point at which it ever gets to the earth. And when that is the case, the tides begin to rise, the waters rise, and the current begins to get stronger. And that was enough then for this ship to get unstuck. You and I have been freed. We have been freed by a power from above that came near, that has brought us to be unstuck. And that power is in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. He is the one who came near. Just like that supermoon drew near and got that ship unstuck, so did God in the person of Jesus Christ come near to you and I. And through all he did on the cross, he has gotten us unstuck. Will you pray with me, please? Our Father in heaven and your son Jesus, you came near. And the power of your love frees us from our sin and rescues us from our shame. And so tonight, I pray for everyone here and everyone watching or listening, Lord, whatever shame that we carry that feels so heavy that we simply don't need, would you lead us this night to lay it at the foot of Jesus' cross, which is so powerful and so full of love. 
We ask this all to the glory of Jesus. Amen.